Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about the invisible harms of third-hand smoke, massive viruses that blur the line between living and non-living, and why whales get lost during solar storms. Let's satisfy some curiosity. A new study suggests that third-hand cigarette smoke can contaminate spaces that nobody has ever smoked in. That's right, third-hand smoke. For the first time, we have some evidence that smokers, and even people who have just been around cigarette smoke, bring those contaminants with them to other locations. So even when a place is labeled non-smoking, it might not be smoke-free. The study took place in a large, well-ventilated movie theater in Mainz, Germany, that strictly enforced the country's indoor smoking bans. Over four days, researchers measured the pollutants in the theater's ceiling vents using a device called a mass spectrometer, which can identify specific particles based on their mass and electric charge. The ceiling vent measurements showed that the presence of nicotine and other smoking-related compounds spiked when people entered the theater. Just by sitting together in a room, moviegoers exposed themselves to the equivalent of between 1 and 10 cigarettes of secondhand cigarette smoke. The researchers think those chemicals entered the theater on smokers' clothing and bodies. They found especially high concentrations of toxic compounds like benzene and formaldehyde during late-night and rated-R films. The researchers think that's because even though attendance was lower at these viewings, the proportion of adults who might smoke was higher. This study is the first to look at smoking pollution in a non-smoking environment. And while it took place in a movie theater, researchers say their results probably apply to most indoor environments around the world, with the potential for even more of these harmful particles in smaller, less ventilated spaces. For now, there's no sense in really panicking. The researchers only looked at how much of this stuff was present, not how harmful it was for the people in the theater. We can worry about third-hand smoke all we want, but right now it's probably not possible to shield yourself from this kind of pollution in public. But if you are a smoker, you may want to think twice about smoking inside your home or car. We now know that cigarette smoke doesn't disappear when the cigarette goes out. Our next story is about viruses, but just to be clear, it has nothing to do with the coronavirus. So now with that out of the way, scientists have recently discovered tons of really big viruses. You may already know that viruses aren't technically alive, but these viruses, they're so big that they blur the already fuzzy line between living and non-living things. If you think you know where to draw the line between what's alive and what's not, then this research might inspire you to think again. These giant viruses attack microbes, and they're part of a group called the bacteriophages, meaning bacteria-eating. Bacteriophages, or simply phages if you're one of the cool kids, are made of the same building blocks that living things are made of, like proteins and DNA. But they're not considered to be alive because they have no metabolism and they can't reproduce on their own. So how do they reproduce? Well, that's where the bacteria-eating part comes in. To make more bacteriophages, these giant viruses inject their DNA into a bacterial cell and hijack its internal machinery. Then, boom, more bacteriophages. It's not like bacteriophages are uncommon. Scientists have been studying them for a long time. But they're usually really small. 
these new massive versions have more genetic material than some actual living organisms. And like I said, they were only recently discovered. Microbial ecologists found these giant viruses by swabbing all over the place. We're talking locations ranging from hot springs in Tibet to hospital rooms and even a baby's gut microbiome. The study led to the discovery of 351 phages that each had genomes larger than 500,000 bases. The largest in the sample was almost 50% bigger than that, clucking in at a massive 735,000 bases. To compare, the average phage genome has only 50,000 bases. That's a little bit like discovering humans that are 82 feet tall that have been living among us this whole time and nobody noticed until now. Something even more interesting than the sheer size of the monster phages might be the genes they contain. Most of these huge phages have genes that we thought only lived in bacteria. Ironically, many of these genes are CRISPR genes, which are famous for their gene editing capabilities in a laboratory setting, but actually originated in bacteria. They act as the bacteria's immune system to fight off phage attacks. This means that massive phages have learned to attack bacteria with their own gene editing weapons. Even weirder, these megaviruses contained genes that give them the ability to translate messenger RNA into new proteins an ability only living things tend to possess. So, like I mentioned earlier, the stark boundaries we draw through nature turn out to be more than a little blurry. If you don't believe me, then just ask these bacteriophages. Although, we don't know if they would answer us, because we're not sure if they're alive or not. Is that how that works? <laughs> well, I think, it takes, I think it takes more than being alive to be able to answer a question in English. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> uh... Phage once for yes and twice for no. Phage is going to phage. <laughs> they, they just go around phaging. Wow. We're going to be filed in the explicit category if we keep <laughs> doing that. All right, here's a pop quiz. What do solar storms have to do with whales? Ashley. They're both really big. It's actually a pretty good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. However, not what I was looking for. Because it turns out they actually have a lot more to do with each other than you might think. And it's not a super friendly relationship that solar storms have with whales. New evidence suggests that gray whales migrate by following patterns in the Earth's magnetic field. And activity on the sun can push them off course. Now, as far as I'm concerned, magnetoreception is basically a superpower. Birds, bees, sea turtles, and salamanders are just a handful of the animals that can use the Earth's magnetic field as a navigational tool. But as cool as magnetoreception is, we don't really know how it works. Sometimes the best way to find out how something works is to look for the situations when it doesn't work and find out why. And that's why Duke University researchers decided to study whale strandings. They weren't sure whether gray whales had this magnetic sense but it seemed plausible. After all, gray whales migrate across thousands of miles of open ocean every year without any real visual landmarks to guide them. It's an incredible feat, but the whales aren't perfect. Sometimes they get lost and end up stranded on beaches. So the researchers looked at a data set of 186 whale strandings recorded in North America over about a 30-year period and compared them with the number of sunspots at the time. Sunspots are linked to solar storms, which are high-energy bursts from the sun that can disrupt the Earth's magnetic field and dose the planet with radio-frequency noise. 
The researchers found that on days with large numbers of sunspots, whales were more than twice as likely to get stranded than on a randomly chosen day. When they dug into the data, the researchers found that the problem wasn't what you might think. It was that the radio interference blinded the whale's sensors, not that changes in the Earth's magnetic field threw them off course. To put it another way, it was like the whale's built-in Google Maps couldn't get a GPS signal. The same radio interference issue had been observed in birds thrown off course. And this teaches us two things. First, it shows us that, yeah, whales really do use magnetoreception to get around. And two, it gives us a clue as to how this sense works. There's still a long way to go before we know how magnetoreception happens, but studies like this help us navigate that path a little better. Ashley, what did we learn today? Well, we learned that there's firsthand cigarette smoke, which is where you smoke a cigarette. There's secondhand smoke, which is where you inhale smoke from someone else smoking a cigarette. And now there's thirdhand smoke, which is where you're exposed to the smoke particles just by walking into a room where someone has been smoking in the past. So you know that when we're not all locked down and everything is closed in the world, I love going to the theater. Yeah. I got to tell you, when somebody walks back from intermission and sits next to me and they have smoked a cigarette, I get very upset. I don't know if my sense of smell is too sensitive or like what the deal is, but like it really does impact the non-smokers like so much. Well, I wonder with more people vaping these days, if third hand smoke sense will uh, start to calm down. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Because vaping dissipates more quickly. Yeah. I mean, I think it just doesn't smell as much. Probably depends on what you're vaping. We're in Illinois, so people are vaping lots of sorts of stuff. True. (laughs) Anyway, we also learned today that microbial ecologists discovered viruses that are so big, they're making us rethink whether they're alive or not. Their genomes are more than 14 times bigger than the average phage genome. How about that? Bacteriophages are pretty cool. Do you know there are bacteriophage memes out there? What? Uh, no. Like, there's one... There's one that has Nicolas Cage's face on a virus, and it says, You've heard of Elf on the Shelf, now get ready for Cage on a Phage. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Bacteriophage humor never gets old. (laughs) Never gets old. And we learned that whales have magnetoreception, and that sense can be messed up by solar storms, which is wild. You don't really think about animals swimming through the ocean being affected by a giant star like millions of miles away. Everything's connected, man. Whoa. This is the perfect excuse to go watch Star Trek for the Voyage Home, where whales play a central role in the plot. Oh, well, I, th- I think this is a perfect time to reread Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where a whale and a pot of petunias come into existence hurtling above a planet and the whale slowly figures out that he's a whale before you know his untimely demise is that a spoiler (laughs) it's it's a very short beginning of a chapter it's hilarious everyone needs to read it thanks to us people are gonna have a whale of a time whale i hope so (laughs) wow today's stories were written by kelsey donk and cameron duke and edited by ashley hamer who's the managing editor for curiosity daily Today's episode was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. 